0: Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the harbor. Father God, we come before you tonight, and we are excited. And we are anticipating what you're going to do, but most of all, we're thankful. Because as we've just declared in that song, and we're thankful that you love us. God, we've experienced your love. There's not a single person in here who hasn't in some way experienced the fact that you love us. I know that there's people in here who maybe doubt that, who struggle to even grasp or wrap their minds around the fact that you do love us. And I know that there has even been times in my life where I have doubted that you loved me. And so God, I pray that tonight would be a night where that truth would resonate in our heart in a deeper way than ever before. I ask that you would allow us tonight to understand, to have the minds and the hearts and the eyes to be able to understand your love for us. God, we're thankful for you. We are ready for what you're going to do in this moment. I believe it's going to be a special night tonight. And so we're praying and asking that you would help that to happen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, could you clap our hands, your hands for our uh, worship team? It's a... Uh, we're not done with worship. Uh, they're gonna come back at the end, and uh, we're gonna have some more time of worship. It's gonna be really special. Go ahead and have a seat, though. For now, I'm believing that this night is gonna be just an incredible and a special night. And I'm very thankful for you guys for being a part of our of our Thursday night at the Harbor. Did you have a good Memorial Day? So glad. Glad to hear it. Obviously. Incredibly thankful to live in the the nation that we do and for the men and women who have not only served, I know there's people who have served in this room, but also the men and women who have given our lives uh, for that. And very, very thankful for that. Before we move into our teaching tonight, what I'd like to do is just let you know and remind you that we have a brand new series starting next week. Everybody say, Love and Money. Love Love and Money. So we got a summer series at the harbor. It's called Love and Money. It's about Love and money, two things that many people in the young adult realm and world deal with, walk through. And I know a lot of us in here are trying to kind of process through dating, relationships, engagement, marriage, all of that stuff, as well as finances and trying to get my money right. So I'm hopeful that this series is gonna be incredibly practical and helpful. Let somebody know about it. We're gonna have it being posted on our Instagram throughout the week. So feel free to share it and invite somebody to the harbor. I promise you we will build more chairs if we need to to bring people in. I don't know how we're going to build chairs, but we will build them. Somebody will. All right. You guys excited? You guys ready to dive into God's word? I'm going to go get my my stuff and we're going to jump in. By the way, didn't Isaiah do a great job with 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 next steps? <laughs> Incredible job hosting, Isaiah. You're a natural. Did you guys see his shirt? He says, it says, I don't follow Yahweh, I follow Yahweh. Come on, somebody. It's incredible. All right, so we are in the last week of our series in Genesis chapters 1 through 11, the first 11 chapters of the Bible, the beginning of history. And if you need a Bible, by the way, you can raise your hands, and one of our incredible Connect crew or uh, ambassadors will bring you a Bible. So raise your hands if you need one. They'll get one to you. The scriptures will also be up on the screen. So as you guys are turning, you can turn to Genesis chapter 11. And uh, it's, if you don't know where Genesis chapter 11 is, no judgment. It's within the first probably 10 to 15 pages of the Bible. If you skip past all the intro and notes and stuff like that, it'll be right there. Has anyone ever gone through a season where you were really into watching sad movies? Has anyone gone through that season? Yes. Sometimes you're going through a difficult thing in life, and uh, you do not want to watch like an upbeat, happy movie. You do not want to watch a action-packed thriller. You do not want to watch a Disney movie where everything comes together, although just watched Aladdin, incredible, amazing. Man, I'm in 100%, you know? But... There was a moment in my life where I was kind of going through a difficult time uh, in college, and I got really into the movie Casablanca. Is there any of the lovers of the movie Casablanca? Raise your hand if you've seen Casablanca. Okay, s- some of you guys need to get cultured, okay? Like um, this is like pretty intense because like Isaiah was dropping hip-hop and his references, so that's very cultured. And then like, this is like a 19 19- 40s and 50s black and white movie starring Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman, but it's absolutely incredible. Most film critics would say it is one of the five best movies ever made. That's like them, not me. It's one of my favorites as well. What can I say? I have great taste. But I was watching Casablanca, and it's just this, be- I'm not gonna spoil it, although 50 years, I, I can spoil it. It's been around for like, like 75 years now or whatever, but I'm not gonna spoil it, but it's, it's this beautiful, sad just poetic movie, and there's just such a beautiful melancholy about it. There's hope, there's excitement, there's adventure, but there's just this sadness to it that just is so good when you're in that mood. You know that mood I'm talking about? The other movie that I was thinking about that kind of taps into this is the movie Titanic. Oh, oh man, somebody from this section, I just, I just ministered to them. That's incredible. Um, like, you're about ready to like, let's have the altar car right now. So yeah, the movie Titanic came out December 19th, 1997 and spent 10 months in the box office. It has the amazing distinguishing feature that in fact, two months after it was released, it peaked. So February 14th, 1998, Valentine's Day, 1998, more people went and saw Titanic then than they did the first night it came out. Like people were hyped about this movie and this movie is incredibly sad. There's something about us that, like, is kind of almost, like, connected to sad stories in a way. Like, I don't know why it is, but there is something about us that is connected to those things. And I think part of the reason is because, you know, in in a way, like, like, there is a sadness to humanity. And there is a sadness even to the first 11 chapters of the scripture. Like, if you've been noticing a theme, like, this has been kind of a sad section of scripture. You're absolutely correct. This is a sad section of scripture. In Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve are in the garden and it's perfect and it's beautiful. And then they choose to reject God. They choose to say, I'm making myself God. That's where we got the title of the series from. And because of that, they, they encounter discipline and they encounter like, the, the, the consequences of their disobedience. And then you look at their son, Cain, who again chooses to reject God. He murders his brother. And he experiences a curse or a consequence for his disobedience. And then as we continue through the story, we see more and more people. In fact, it spreads to all of humanity. Like God says, everyone in the world has rejected me. Everyone has said, I am God and you are not. And so they experience the curse of the flood and the consequences for their action. So this story that we're reading, it kind of starts out as a bit of a tragedy. And I think the reason is, and I'm gonna give you kind of a big idea not only for tonight, but as we wrap up our series, a big idea over our whole series. And that big idea is this, that self-sufficiency leads to futility. Self-sufficiency leads to futility. Another way of saying that is when we say I can do it myself, bad things start to happen. When I say I'm God and you're not God, I'm in charge, I'm on the throne, bad things start to happen. Our lives end up in a meaningless place. And we've seen it over and over and over again. This is not just a Bible thing. Like, oh yeah, I get it. That's the Bible. Of course, God's going to talk about the importance of God. Like, he's God and he wrote the book, so that's, that's kind of what he's going to do for his book. No. Like, if we look throughout history, we see that this is what happens. The 20th century was the rise of humanism. It was the rise of societies sort of saying, you know what, we're not so interested in God. God's kind of a concept that we don't need anymore. That was something that uh, you know, people need it a long time ago, but they don't really need it now. And there was amazing advances in technology, faster technology advances than ever before. We invented automobiles. We invented flight in the 20th century. We invented massive weapons of war in the 20th century. And as a consequence, it ended up being the bloodiest century in history. Like more humans killed humans in the 20th century than ever before. Why? Because self-sufficiency leads to futility. Even in our current 21st century, there are like a ton of advancements. Like we are living through like an amazing revolution. Like the phone that you're holding in your hand right now is incredible. And yet, we're more technologically advanced than ever before, but our anxiety and our depression rates are higher than ever before. People feel more isolated than ever before, why? Because self-sufficiency leads to futility. Being on our own apart from God is actually ending up leading us to a meaningless place. And so what we're gonna do tonight is we're gonna dive into our text and we're gonna see this at play again. This theme that has been continuing throughout Genesis is gonna just keep on playing itself out. Let's read in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. The scripture says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. Everybody say Shinar. Shinar. And they settled there. So just to recap and to catch you up, last week, Kevin talked about the story of Noah and the flood. Did anyone think Kevin did an incredible job with Noah and the flood? Give it up for Kevin. That was absolutely incredible. He's in the back right now. (laughs) Kevin, you crushed it. So we did this awesome job with Noah and the flood, and we left off where God had taken Noah and his family through this worldwide flood. God had hit reset on humanity, and now he is, Noah and his family are living, and their mission is, okay, it's time for us to repopulate the earth. Now, what you're gonna read in Genesis chapter nine, we're skipping over to 11, but in Genesis chapter nine, if you want to, you're gonna read a really weird story about Noah and his sons. It gets bizarre, for sure. And you're like, man, I didn't know, like we've had some really bizarre things already happen in Genesis. It just keeps staying weird. And, and kind of like as you're reading that, if you wanna process it, what you can process it and understand is that even the heroes of the Bible are, are broken people. There's no true hero of the Bible except for Jesus, and so you never see anyone in the Bible that's perfect, you never see anyone in the Bible that is flawless, except for Jesus, because we're not supposed to necessarily look at everyone else as a hero, Jesus is the point of the story, he's our hero, he's the only one that can save us, so we see that, and then in chapter 10, we see what's called the table of nations, Abraham, or sorry, Noah's family uh, starts having babies, and they start spreading out and, and populating the earth, And so this genealogy of all of their kids is in chapter 10, and we see how they go to various different places. Now, what we're gonna read here happens kind of at the beginning of chapter 10. Chapter 10 is a description of all of this narrative, and then we're gonna see kind of what happens at the beginning of chapter 10. We're sort of uh, going back a little bit, doing a little flashback in Genesis chapter 11. And what we have seen is that basically, the families of the earth have actually disobeyed god because in genesis 2 and th- genesis 2 actually genesis 1 sorry god says be fruitful multiply and fill the earth after noah uh, comes off the ark once again god says fill the earth but they're not filling the earth because we just read that they migrated and they all kind of gathered in one place which is a plain in the land of shinar and so they're all saying you know what we're cool in this one spot we don't want to go everywhere else this is where we like to be. Look at verse three. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. That's like tar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with the top and the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the entire earth. So this these people have decided to build a tower. Maybe you're not familiar with church or you're new to this whole thing, and that's okay, but you may have heard of the Tower of Babel referenced in culture. This is what we're talking about, the Tower of Babel. Now, this tower is actually a historical document. fact like this is not just something that was made up in the Bible and I always like to bring things to you to show you that the book or the the tablet that you're holding in your hands is not just kind of some fictitious narrative like you know Lord of the Rings or the Chronicles of Narnia that we kind of made up but it actually documents real human events that happen and so listen to this this is a Greek historian not someone who believed in God and followed God but he wrote about this tower he said in the middle of the precinct there was a tower of solid masonry a furlong in length and breadth, which was raised upon a second tower, and on that a third, and on that an eighth. So there's a tower, then they built a tower on that tower. They actually built eight towers. The ascent to the top is on the outside by a path which winds around all the towers. So how do you get to the top? There's a staircase going up all the towers. When one is halfway up, one finds a resting place and seats where persons are wont to sit sometimes on their way to the summit. So if you get tired on your hike up the tower, they built a bench. On the topmost tower, there is a spacious temple. So this is a Greek historian writing about this tower. Now, I want you to notice something. They say, let us build a city with a tower at the top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the entire earth. So they're saying, we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be famous. We want to be powerful. We want to be self-sufficient. And they're saying the point is we're building this tower to reach the heavens. In other words, we want to figure out how we can make it to God or we just want to be God ourselves. Now listen to this, verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. Now, the writer of Genesis is doing something very clever here because he just said that the people are trying to build a tower with its top in the heavens. Then the writer says, you didn't do a very good job because the Lord had to come down to see it. Like God's like, well, it it ain't here because I'm having to descend. I'm having to hit the down button on the elevator to get down there. So he's kind of throwing a little bit of shade at these guys right here. Sorry, the Lord had to still make it down there. You didn't reach him. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible. So God is actually saying that this amount of unity that they have is actually a really bad thing. Because they all have a common language, because they all have a common purpose, they will be able to accomplish anything. Now that could be a good thing if they had good motives, but because they have bad motives, this is a problem. Let's keep reading verse seven. Come, let us go down. This is God talking to himself. This is the Trinity at work right here. Come, let us go down, and they're confused their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. So imagine, if you will, that you have woken up every single day and every single person that you have ever met in all of humanity spoke the same language, you understood them. And then one day you wake up and the people that you had been working with, the people that you had been dreaming with, the people that you had been doing life with literally spoke an entirely different language. Like God actually, this is the moment where God created the languages of all of the earth. And so this is kind of a powerful and mind-blowing and very crazy moment that happens when God actually gives all of these multiple languages. And in the process of giving these languages, he ends up sending people all over the earth and kind of dividing people from this united cause that they were at. So here's what happens. These human beings had rejected God. They had walked away from the purposes and the plans that God had for them. Now, When this happened a few years ago, God had sent this flood, and he he actually hit reset on the entire world's population. He said, like, we have to wipe you out because you guys have gotten so wicked and so evil. Now, God didn't just suddenly zap them we learned a couple weeks ago that God was very patient and he offered time and time again for them to repent over a hundred or over honestly like a 900 year period where they could have turned back, but they didn't. And now in this time, God does not stop humanity. God does not wipe out humanity, but God does something to suppress the evil that is in humanity. God puts up some boundaries to keep people's wickedness at bay. Here's kind of a way to think about it. Some of us in this room are very bad at bowling. Don't mean to insult you. Just given statistics and math, there are a few people in here who would be happy to hit 50. Let's face it. By the way, 50 is not good. And so the bowling alleys have invented this beautiful thing that allows us to mitigate our badness. They're called bumpers. And you can ask and put up bumpers. And guess what? Here's the thing. Bumpers will not make you a good bowler. But bumpers will keep you from being an abysmal bowler. And so this is kind of what God is doing. He's dividing them based on languages so that they will not continue in this united, focused wickedness that was ultimately gonna end up in their own destruction. So it didn't make them good, but it mitigated their badness. God in this moment is disciplining them, but he's also giving them grace because he's allowing them to continue to move forward in the world with the effort to hopefully one day have them turn to him. Now here's what's really beautiful. Even though God decided to limit wickedness by dividing God's ultimate goal is to unite you see a few thousand years later God would send his son Jesus Christ to the earth Jesus Christ would hang on a cross and die for the sins of humanity and he would rise again and when he did that he created a new people a united people It says in Ephesians chapter two that Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility between those who were in and those who were out. And so for every single person who is a follower of Jesus, regardless of your language, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of your socioeconomic background or what passport you have, all of us are united under one name, the name of Jesus. And so you and I, we actually have, if we're followers of Jesus, we have more commonality with a believer who lives in Beijing, China, who speaks Mandarin Chinese than we do with our coworker who doesn't follow Jesus, even though they speak the same language and they look exactly the same as us. Spiritually speaking, we are more united there. And so we have brothers and sisters everywhere. For those of us who are going on the missions trip, we're gonna meet brothers and sisters in Christ One nation, one people. When our friend Aaron heads off to Africa, she has brothers and sisters over there in Christ who are united with her. And then look at this picture that John gives us at the end of time when one day everyone is gonna come together in Revelation chapter seven. And he writes this, he says, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes that symbolizes purity that they have been forgiven of their sins. They held palm branches in their hands and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. So God did at one point thousands of years ago divide. And he divided to mitigate the evil that was in the world. But God's ultimate goal is to unite. His ultimate goal is to bring people together under the name of Jesus. And if you're not following Jesus, God's goal is to draw you in and his goal is to unite you, to bring you and let you be a part of his family. It's a diverse family. It is an international family. It is a historic family. And it's the greatest family to be a part of ever. All right, so I got a question for you. I was reading this and I kind of had this in my mind and and it kind of like, was rattling around in my head, and I thought maybe as we were reading, someone might also be asking this question. And the question is this, is, is God just being a grump here? Like, it kind of seems like God overreacted a little bit to the situation, right? They weren't, like, murdering anyone. They weren't, you know, like, growing cocaine in the land of Shinar. They were building a city. They were building a tower. Like, is God just being grumpy? Is he just sort of like freaking out about this tower? Like, God, calm down, for real. It's just a tower. There's gonna be plenty that are built. If you freak out over every tower, this is a bad idea. You're gonna, you're gonna be freaking out a lot. So that's the question. Now, I believe that God is not freaking out. Just to spoil that, it's, he's not. And I believe that every single command that God gives us is for human flourishing. So whenever God commands something, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it feels like it's being restrictive and repressive, ultimately, that command is given for us to flourish as human beings. And so this is what I wanna explain to you. I want you to understand that when God commands something, he does it so that we can succeed as humanity under his rule. Life without God is ultimately meaningless. And so the problem with this situation was not that they built a tower. The problem was that they disobeyed God. The problem's never a tower. The problem's never a city. The problem is not us building rockets. Rockets are fine. The problem in every moment of history is us disobeying God and us trying as human beings to live life without God there's this story in the book of Ecclesiastes and it's this book in the middle of the Bible not a ton of people have read it and it's very it's a fascinating story it it reads unlike any other in the Bible. And it's the story of this man named Solomon who had all of this wealth and all of this wisdom and he makes a decision that he is going to find the meaning of life. And so what he does is first he says, I'm going to try to find the meaning of life through pleasure. And and Solomon legit parties so hard. Like you don't think partying's in the Bible? Partying's in the Bible. It's described in 1 Chronicles and it's this like mind-blowing night after night just like, debauchery, everything possible, like, drinking and, like, revelry and and just gorging their faces with food. Like, no one in this room has ever partied like Solomon has partied. You may have had some good nights. You may have been the king of some bars or the queen of some bars, but, like, you have not partied like Solomon has partied. So then Solomon decides that he's going to kind of switch up his focus and he's gonna focus on relationships, Ultimately, he's going to focus on sleeping with a lot of women. And so Solomon goes, he's an overachiever, and he goes above and beyond, sleeps with a thousand women. Some of you guys may be like, you know, I'm pretty smooth with the ladies. Like, you know, I can impress some people. Some of you ladies are like, you know, I do okay for myself, but like a thousand women. That's a lot. Then finally, Solomon decides, I am going to achieve a bunch of stuff. I'm going to build a bunch of stuff. And he builds like everything possible that there is to build. Like he has these incredible achievements of construction and of building so much so that people are coming from miles around other nations to see his achievements. But he comes to the end of it and he says, after I've done all that, what I have discovered is that life is ultimately meaningless apart from God. And so when God shows these men and women of Babel that this tower is not the point, he's not doing something malicious, he's doing something gracious because he's demonstrating that life without God is ultimately meaningless. And I think a lot of times the temptation for us is that you and I, what we try to do is we have our minds so set on kind of what we have going on and kind of the plans and the expectations that are on us. And so we kind of get in this mindset where we're like, I believe in God, but like, I, it's, just, it's just not the right time. yet." And so we say like, you know, like, I, as soon as I get out of college, that, that's when I'm really going to just, just go for it with God. I got a lot going on with God. Well, then what? Well, then I, I get out of college. And so I have to, you know, like, like find a job. So as soon as that happens, as soon as I get secure in my career, then I'm gonna then I'm gonna crush it with God. I'm gonna really pursue God. Well then what? Well then I got I got I gotta find a wife or I gotta find a husband. I gotta find that special someone. Well then what? Well, kind of when we got married, we realized that we needed to um to 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 kind of like advance and kind of maybe I need to get a little more money so that we can get a bigger house because we wanna start a family. So we gotta focus on that. As soon as that's over though we're focusing on God, well then what, well then, then we had kids, and they, they were really crazy, it was really hard to really, like truly go all in with God, because we had kids, well then what, well the kids are grown now, and so we just want to have some time, just her and I, take us back to the old days, well then what, well the kids had kids, we got grandkids now, this is awesome, As soon as that happens, and once we kind of get some time with the grandkids, then we're going to focus on God. Well, then what? I got retirement now. I I got to kind of like enjoy myself. This is like my time to like enjoy myself. Well, then what? Well, at some point along the line, we have to come to a place where we realize that every one of us is ultimately going to stand before God. And there's not gonna be a then what after that. Jesus said, what does it profit the world if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Life without God is meaningless. And so you and I in this room, we have a choice right now. And this is the first thought. This is the thing that I want us to think through and process as we move forward with this night. If you wanna jot it down, you can. We can work to make a name Or we can work to bring glory to the name. We can work to make a name, or we can work to bring glory to the name. You know, in this passage we read, I'm going to read again verse 4. The folks who were at Babel said, Come, let us build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole earth. Let us make a name for ourselves. We want to be famous. We want people to know us. We want to be powerful. We want people to respect us. We want to be self-sufficient. We don't want to rely on anybody for anything. But notice this. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth, isn't it interesting that their grand ambition was actually motivated by fear? And I wonder if sometimes for us, our grand ambitions are motivated by fear. I don't wanna become like my mom. I don't wanna be poor like my parents were poor. I don't wanna wake up one day and realize that I've wasted my life. And so because of that, I need to make a name for myself. You know, we live in a generation that loves to make a name for themselves. The ultimate goal of so many in our generation is to be an influencer, to be a public figure on social media, to be more liked, to work with the algorithm so that we can have the top of people's feet. And even maybe that's not your fancy, maybe that's not what you desire to do, but the pressure that is on our generation is you gotta figure out how to make a name for yourself. This is the time. You're a young adult. You gotta figure it out. You gotta get a career. You gotta get a spouse. You gotta advance, you gotta make something of yourself. This is the time to do it. But so often I think that our motivations for that can be fear. What if I don't do that? What if I fail? What if, what if something happens to me and I'm not prepared for it? And so we can let fear consume us and we could start to build towers for ourselves just like they build towers. We start to build the Brian Towers and the Bob Tower and the Jill Tower. We build these towers because we're trying to prove to the world that we're something. But you know what's crazy? Jesus, he speaks to his disciples and he speaks to the people in in Matthew chapter 6. And he comes with this absolutely crazy flip of the script. He completely turns the entire paradigm upside down and gives us a brand new reality. Jesus says this, therefore do not be anxious, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Another way of reading that is the pagans seek after these things. This is what everyone freaks out about. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now these words, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear, we get it, but like we don't get it like the listeners that first heard would have gotten it. Because they lived in a society where they didn't have a tap to get their water. They didn't have a grocery store to just go grab some food. Like, if they didn't go to the well, there was no water. If they didn't go out and fish and actually catch a fish, they didn't eat. So it wasn't like, ah, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Like, it's fine. Like, there's an Aldi's, all right? Stop freaking out. Like, for them, they would be like, how could you say don't worry? If I don't get a fish today, my son is not going to eat a fish. He's not eating. He's starving. It would be irresponsible of me not to worry about these things. And maybe for us, it's not what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear. Maybe for us, it's what am I gonna do in the next five years? Who am I gonna get married to? Like, what is my life actually gonna be? Like, this is the thing. If I'm not worried about it, who's gonna be worried about it? If I'm not taking care of it, then nobody's gonna take care of it. If I'm not looking out for this guy, nobody else is. But Jesus comes with this insane command. He says, stop worrying about it. But he also comes with this incredible promise. The command is, instead of worrying about this, seek me. Seek my kingdom. Seek my righteousness. And he says, if you look after my glory, then I'll take care of your name. If you focus on me, I'll focus on taking care of your life. I'll hold in your hands the things that you need held. So how do we do that? Like, that's a a major question. I was thinking about this. How do we live for God's glory? Because I think a lot of us want to do that. I think a lot of us, when we see this verse, we feel it, and we're like, man, that, that would be awesome, but how do I do it? Well, I don't think it comes with us just completely demolishing everything that we've built, okay? I don't think we should stop going to work tomorrow. I don't think we should stop going to the grocery store. I think what it is, is we need to change in perspective. We need to change in our mentality. I'm not looking to build a name for myself. I'm looking to live life for God's glory. I'm looking to live life in such a way that he is the only one that matters. And if you're gonna seek God's glory, it starts with seeking God's face. It starts with spending time with God. You gotta get to know God if you want to build your life on God's glory. Because here's the thing, if you pursue God, if you look after God, if you make God your soul focus, if you're like, man, that's what I want. I want to know God. I want to, to draw near to him. I want to experience his love. I don't just want the words of scripture to be words, but I want them to actually experience in my life. I want to be a part of what's happening. I don't want to just know about God. I don't want to have some facts in my mind about him. I want to know him. I want to walk with him. I want to experience what it's like to actually know his love in a deeper way and walk in more intimacy with him. I really believe if that's the goal, your life's going to bring glory to God. And so, so how do we do that practically? I think it starts with us spending time with him. It starts with us making it a priority to actually spend time with God. And so for me, what that looks like is in the morning, I try to make it a priority to every day, read the scripture, and spend time talking to God in prayer. Now, there's people who, who, would, who, who are intimidated by that. Sometimes it's scary to open up the Bible when someone's not kind of helping you walk through that. But keep, start doing it. Start moving forward with it. Actually, Katie and I just, uh, we, we released on, on my like, YouTube channel, we released like a, a few uh, YouTube videos on how to read the Bible. So you can check that out like on my Instagram if you want to like help you process through that and learn how to actually approach reading the Bible in a way where you can understand. But in addition to that, one thing that I really try to do is I try to carve out a few minutes on a different part of the day, maybe at noon or maybe in the evening. And I try to just spend some time in silence and in quiet sitting with God. Maybe I'll look at one verse from the Psalms or one verse that's encouraging to my heart. But my goal with this is I'm not trying to read a bunch of stuff. I'm not trying to pray a list of prayers. I'm not trying to ask God for anything. I'm just trying to sit in God's presence. And I'm trying to remember the fact that my life is not about me building my tower, but my life is about God's glory. And my goal is not just to do a bunch of stuff and to rush around and try to figure out everything, my goal is to know God. Not to know about God, to know God. So that's the first thing that we need to do. We need to seek God's glory instead of trying to build our own name. Imagine with me for a second, what if some people in this room like actually did that? Like if we had a generation of people who said, I'm not trying to build my own name. I'm not trying to build my own tower and my own dynasty and my own brand. I want to live for God's glory. That's what I want to do. And if a bunch of us started to do that, that unity, that would be powerful. We could change Brevard County with that. We could start going out into the world with that because we are actually starting to seek God and say, it's not about what I want. It's not about my brand. It's about God's glory. The last thing I wanna lay on you, and this is for tonight, but this is also kind of a closing point on our series, Myself, the God, and it's this. There's always hope. There's always hope. And I'm gonna ask the worship team to come back up and help me close out this message. As I said in the beginning This story, Genesis 1 through 11, has elements of tragedy. Not only is it tragedy in and of itself, but it actually also explains every other tragedy in the world. But even in the middle of tragedy, there's always hope. I'm going to show you that hope in just a second. If you would look with me at Genesis chapter 11 and then jump down to the bottom, verse 27 of Genesis chapter 11. And it says this. It says, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. This is a guy named Terah, and he had three kids, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. Brian, how is this hope? This doesn't seem like hope to me. This seems like four names, and one guy died. (laughs) Let's keep reading. And Abraham... And Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Brian, we still have no hope. We now have two marriages, one of which has no children, so actually less hope. It's worse than before. I'm sadder than if we hadn't read this. Terah took... Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his sons, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years old, and Terah died in Haran. Still not great. Still no hope. Here's the thing. When God wants to change the world, God does not start with this massive advertising campaign with some big slogans, with some major uh, news networks promoting it. He doesn't buy a commercial spot at the Super Bowl. He doesn't pay for ads on the most popular YouTube videos. When God wants to change the world, he starts by changing one person. And then that person blesses their community, and that starts to change the world. So maybe the God actually wants to change Harris by changing you. Maybe God wants to change Eastern Florida State by blessing you and filling you with a deeper desire for his glory. And as that happens, Eastern Florida State starts changing. But look with me, I know that we're only supposed to go in this series to Genesis 11, but we're gonna cheat, we're gonna get some extra bonus footage. And start Genesis 12, just the first three verses, because here's the hope. Now the Lord said to Abraham, verse 1 of Genesis 12 Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and Him. Who dishonors you, I will curse. And this is what's key. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God shows up to this random guy, Abraham, and he says three things. First off, I'm gonna make you a great family. Secondly, I'm gonna give you a great land. That's not here, but that's in a couple of chapters. And thirdly, and most importantly, through you, everybody in the world is gonna be blessed. Now, what Abram didn't know, but what we know now, because we have the whole story, is that that is the promise that started a chain of events that ultimately led to Jesus Christ coming to this earth. And through Jesus Christ, the whole world is blessed. Every single person has an opportunity for salvation. Every single person has an opportunity for hope, for restoration, and for redemption. There's always hope. That means that there's hope on a massive worldwide scale. Like, This is not a good story, like we ended the story and it's divided, it's confused, it's broken, it's unfinished, It's nothing's working. But God says, I'm starting something and that something is gonna lead to Jesus and Jesus is gonna be the hope for humanity. So when you watch the news or when you get on your phone and when you see something discouraging and you're tempted to despair, I want you to know that there's always hope, that God actually called the church to be the hope for humanity. So as long as there's a church, there's gonna be hope. And God said the gates of hell would not withstand the church, so there's always gonna be a church until Jesus comes down and just starts, redeems the whole thing. And so every single moment, there's always gonna be hope for humanity. But there's also gonna be hope for your life. Maybe your life is like Babel right now. It's broken it's confused, it's unfinished. Maybe you're like, I ain't never finished anything in my life. Like everything in my life has fallen apart and it's a failure and it's messed up and I feel like I can do nothing right. But even in that, there's hope because God can enter into your life and maybe God has led you to this place where you're trying to build a name for yourself and you're not succeeding and it's not working and I'm tired of it. But in the moment, and in the middle of that, God is saying, it's not about building your name. It's about seeking my glory. I wanna invite everybody, if you're able to, to stand. And we're gonna sing a song. It's one of the songs that has been the most powerful in my life of late. And what I love about this song is there's this beautiful lyric. And the lyric goes that, I would search and stop for nothing, but you're just not that hard to find. And in this lyric, we're reminded of the Tower of Babel that they tried to build their way to God. But the truth is, that it's impossible to get to God. But the beauty is that God's just not that hard to find because he came down to us in the name of Jesus Christ. And he wants to save you. He wants to rescue you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to love you. And he wants you to encounter a life with him that is built on his glory so that he can bless and save and redeem the world. So if you're able, I wanna invite you to sing. I wanna invite you to draw near to God to seek after God in this moment. So let's sing together. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.